This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. Hey, Chad, what's up? Nothing much. What's going on with you? Nothing much. Not anything really too exciting. Um, yeah, <laughs> I feel lame, but not a whole lot. Yeah, I'm doing a little traveling later this week. Uh, I, I'm stationed in Dallas, but there's a convention for music educators in San Antonio this week. So I will be driving down there for the latter part of this week, and I'm looking forward to that. It'll be a nice break from work because uh, I can always use those. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yes, I am well uh, educated, as it were, in TMEA. Some good times. Mm -hmm. Been part of that from, well, middle school and high school through college. So uh, you get to continue the tradition. So enjoy. Yeah, I've got to say, uh, the last four years I've gone to TMEA, I had to participate in the job fair every year. And so I'm really looking forward this time around to not <laughs> having to participate in the job fair because, hey, I've got a job. So that's nice. Hey. <laughs> and uh, yeah, when I was in high school, also, uh, my high school band was the honor band uh, and this is the 10-year anniversary of that performance, so it's kind of mind-blowing. I didn't realize that until yesterday. Uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, we're, we're getting old, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get some comments on that, how we're not old. and I, Yeah, but it starts yeah. to feel like it at that point, yeah. Right. Well, we do have um, sort of an apology to make. There were some reviews that kind of got lost in the mix. Um, some of our reviews from the UK did not show up, but we have some new reviews that we'd like to mention. Apologies again if we miss anybody. These are the three that we saw. Reviews from iFly89, The Music World of Benji, and Adam Board. Thank you so much for your nice words and your ratings. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, the... Uh, U.S. store only shows reviews from people in the U.S. Even people from Canada, uh, they they if they review on the Canadian iTunes store, then they don't show up in our version. So uh, I'm using a service now that lets us see all of our reviews. And so thank you to you three and to anybody else who pops up around the world and leaves us a review because certainly the United States does not have a monopoly on NBC's The Office. So. Uh, <laughs> Thank you again. Sorry it took us so long to acknowledge you, but uh, there you go, and let's go ahead and get started. So episode two of season four is Dunder Mifflin Infinity. It aired on October 4th, 2007, was directed by Michael Shore, and written by Craig Zisk. Ryan Howard is making his first visit back to the Scranton branch of Dunder Mifflin since taking over Jan's job at corporate. He gives a presentation on a new direction for the company called Dunder Mifflin Infinity, which involves new technology, a new website, and streamlined service for their customers. But Michael begins to fear being phased out of the company for being outdated and old, and so sets out on a quest to win back old customers with gift baskets to prove that the old ways are better than the new. We get to see again more of more of Ryan in this episode, who, uh, as I kind of stated, yeah, is not my uh, <laughs> not my number one favorite character. Um, in fact, I wrote in my notes, so Ryan is pretentious as heck now. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> one way to put this, it. Yeah, um, he gloats about how much his haircut costs. He's just got this new look going on with the beard and. 
a whole new Ryan. And we know how Michael feels about Ryan, um, but he's the boss now. And having Ryan as his boss, rather than, to use a Dwight word, his subordinate, uh, is difficult for Michael. Ryan actually snaps at him when he first arrived because uh, Kevin gave him a noogie and called him fire guy. And Michael makes a joke about how uh, Ryan has a gay crush on him. And uh, Ryan just snaps at him and says, listen, this is inappropriate. And it stops now. You get it. You understand? And uh, Ryan, Michael has this uh, talking head where he says, yeah, Ryan snapped at me, but there was this twinkle in his eye that I picked up on. And keep in mind, this is all one block of quotes. So he, Michael is saying that this twinkle said all of this to him. Dude, we're friends. I'm doing this for appearances. I'm the big boss now, and I have to seem like an ogre. But you know me, and you trust me, and we like each other, and we'll always be friends. And I would never take you for granted in a million years. And I miss you, man. And I love you. His words. All in a twinkle, <laughs> according to Michael. <laughs> That's quite a twinkle, yeah. I've got to say. He is fairly delusional about Ryan's um, feelings towards Michael. Um, Ryan has never said anything to Michael or about Michael that would insinuate that he cares for him at all. That's really all one-sided from Michael. And um, Ryan really does try to put him in his place in this episode and Michael still is just not having it. Michael actually seems to show a little bit of disillusionment or disenchantment with Ryan now that he's no longer his subordinate and is trying to boss him around. And he has this talking head about how when he was a kid, he had a fake brother, he calls him. It was an exchange student who lived with his family. And when he went back to what is now or what was formerly Yugoslavia, he took all of Michael's genes with him. So he compares Michael or he, Michael compares Ryan to this fake brother who steals your blue jeans. <laughs> so he he's a little bit uh, faded away from the man crush that he's had in previous seasons. I do have to say I was impressed that Michael correctly said what was formerly Yugoslavia. <laughs> I thought surely he was kind of making that up and... Um, Maybe thought it was still a country, but he was accurate, which, okay. I'll give him those props. Yeah, good. <laughs> um, but Cre uh, Creed plants the idea in Michael's head that uh, Ryan and the, the new management of Dunder Mifflin are trying to phase out the older people in the company. So Creed, Michael, uh, Phyllis, Stanley, anybody who's over the age of 40. And so... Michael expresses these concerns to Jan while they're eating lunch together in his office. And she says, you know, uh, they better be careful. Or they're going to have an ageism suit against them. And Michael just latches on to this idea of ageism without really knowing what it is. And he prints off something probably from Wikipedia or a, a simple quick Google search and uh, has another conference room meeting where he gets to use old pictures from previous episodes, such as... Tom Hanks on the keyboard from Big that he used back in The Injury when he sizzled his foot on the uh, grill. And uh, the, ben, the Ben Kingsley picture from the Diwali Indian presentation. So uh, I guess we learned that about Michael is that he recycles pictures. <laughs> you never know when you're going to need him again, I suppose. Yes, and uh, the 
employees of the office make that note. They say, hey, didn't you use those those photos before? And Michael says, you know, I would have printed out new ones, except we ran out of ink in the printer. Uh, should be noted that Creed, in his fear of ageism, uh, or in his fear of being obsolete, I guess, dyes his hair black from the ink in the printer. So um, he is clearly making drastic changes to appear younger. Uh, and, you know, he's not a young guy. He's clearly over the age of 40, uh, and black hair is just not going to fix that. Yeah, he he, he changes his uh, song. I think in the last episode he said he was going to be 92 in November, and this episode he dyes his hair and starts speaking with hip uh, young lingo as he sees it and says he's going to be 30 in November. So <laughs> uh, quite a change for Creed. Yeah, he wants to drink yeah. Red Bull from the vending machines. He's just all about the young stuff now. Yeah, sometimes you just got to ride the bull. <laughs> um, so Michael, to combat all this, as I said in my summary, has decided to prove that old business methods are just as good or better than the new technology. And so he's going to take these gift baskets that he's compiled with lots of different treats, chocolate turtles, uh, etc., and take them to clients that they lost in the previous year and hopefully win them back. Uh, He says he's tired of people telling him he can't do things like he can't make the soccer team or he can't move on to the second grade. So there's some the some history with Michael and his childhood that he's been struggling with. And uh, he's just trying to continue to prove people wrong that he can do things. And so during these client calls, he shows that he still has a gift with people. Uh, and with sales, uh, the during the, the main client call that we see, he remembers specific details about this guy and his family. He remembers his daughter's name. He remembers how old she is. He even remembers what she's allergic to, uh, which I don't, there, there's no way a customer service person for Staples or for Office Depot would be able to offer that kind of personalization. This is something that is unique really to Michael, remembering this level of detail about his customers. And it it, it really is a testament to how much he cares, I think. Uh, but unfortunately for him, it's confirmed that businesses are more interested in the ease of purchasing so uh, a nice website basically and the the level of cost rather than in uh high customer service with high costs so they're all about making it cheap and making it easy and that's not necessarily what dunder mifflin's about at the moment or at least not in not not what michael would have it do it seems to me like he is almost focusing on the wrong things while it is obviously very, very important to have good customer service and to, yeah, I mean, if you can remember the name of your client's kid, um, it's not necessary to remember the peanut allergy or whatever. That's a little excessive. And he kind of freaked out his client. It looks like, um, it's like, he's almost focusing on the wrong thing in the client's eyes. He knew almost too much information about the client, but couldn't provide a service that the client could want at the price that they would want it so people person or not they're just not interested right now i think michael just needs to realize that there's room for both and his level of attention to detail in regards to their his clients personal lives would be a lot more appreciated if 
it came in tandem with an easy to use website that had been updated since 2002. Um, and that's really what Ryan right. is really trying to do. And David Wallace, by extension, since they're in charge of the company in modernizing Dunder Mifflin and making ease of access a lot higher. Uh, but Michael, thanks to Creed, has blown this other aspect of it out of proportion when really Michael, the only danger to Michael's job was Michael himself, not his age. Speaking of Ryan a little bit, Ryan um, has this cool new persona with a lot of the guys in the office. They're very impressed with his new position and how much just cooler he seems to have gotten since he was a temp. And um, one person who's very not impressed, seemingly, is Kelly. I love when, um, at the very top of the episode, Kelly comes in in this bright pink polka-dotted dress. Um, she's clearly dressing up for something, wearing a lot of makeup, and asks, oh, is Ryan coming back today? She clearly knows he's coming back. And um, Yeah. Yeah, like really obviously dressed up to see him. Um, a lot of the guys in the office are just so amazed by his life in New York City and how glamorous it must be. And Jan even comes into the office when she's having lunch with Michael and she and Ryan get into this heated discussion about Ryan's job. If it really is Jan's job, um, apparently Ryan's getting a lower salary than Jan was getting. Just lots of tension with this new position with Ryan. He has a whole um, different power struggle in the office now. There's a whole new uh, chain of command. That back and forth confrontation with him and Jan uh, he he says, okay, point out the elephant in the room. I have your job. She says, well, I had a different title. He says, yeah, but it's the same office and same responsibilities. Well, I got paid more, but you'll get there eventually. Don't worry. Uh, he says, well, Scranton fits you. Scranton suits you. She says, best decision I ever made. Well, we let you go. And she says, uh, I like that beard on you. It's cute. You better keep it. So like super condescending, super patronizing, and he sort of lingers on it, and she has the last word. So it's just back and forth sort of devastating each other <laughs> as far as sort of just underhanded compliments in a lot of ways, uh, but also just straight up confrontation. So there, there's that, and then you mentioned Kelly, and they have their scenes together, of course. You can't have them together and uh, in the same place and not have some sort of interaction. And Kelly takes it upon herself to fake a pregnancy in order to get a date with Ryan. Uh, oh. And uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it's awful. But I, I think it's so funny how she says, oh, yeah, I, I've, I've, I'm pregnant and I'm keeping the baby. Are you prepared to take care of a baby? And it cuts to a talking head. And uh, she just like shakes her head at the camera like, no, it's not real. <laughs> it's not even <laughs> a talking head. It's just a head. <laughs> yeah, it's just a head. She doesn't say anything. And Ryan says, OK, we'll, we'll talk about this at dinner after work. And it goes back to the talking head and she says, we, ha we have a date. So it worked in her mind. And uh, then there's, of course, the confrontation the next day between the two of them where Ryan says, really, you don't see a problem with how you you faked a pregnancy in order to get to go to dinner with me. You really don't see that problem. Uh, and she doesn't. And he says, yeah, we're through. We're not in a relationship and we're not going to be in a relationship. And she just says, oh, why not? <laughs> 
there she she's so clueless and desperate and on and off like sometimes she she seems like she's strong and independent and just wants to throw it back in ryan's face but other times she's so clingy and she desperately wants to be back in a relationship with him so it's hard to figure kelly out regarding what she wants whereas ryan has pretty clearly been against being with her for a while now also with ryan and his history with women um back in women's appreciation it was noted that Ryan emailed Karen asking her out. Um, but in this episode, Ryan lies to Kelly and says that Karen emailed him asking him out. So he's just trying to yeah. push her buttons and he knows what, what Kelly feels and he's just jabbing at her. And um, I think Ryan's got a thing for Karen that isn't super developed in the writing of the show, but he uh, clearly thinks a lot about that email. Yeah, there's that. And then one of the more painful moments of the episode when he asks Pam to do some mock-up logos for Dunder Mifflin Infinity. And she's excited about it at first. She's, oh, cool. I'll do some mock-ups and uh, all this kind of graphic design speak that she doesn't really know, but she knows it's vaguely associated with the field. And she's she's excited to have a shot to prove herself. And so she comes up with several sketches and Ryan comes up behind her and really does not seem interested in the least about her sketches and very clearly says, I- I'd love to talk about these more with you. How about we do it after dinner or after work at dinner? Wear something nice. And she just says, no. <laughs> like she stumbles over her words for a second and just, no. He says, what? I just want to have dinner. And then she points out, yeah, I'm with Jim. We're together. We're dating. And Ryan can't believe it, but Jim is quite proud because just earlier in the episode, Andy and Kevin were talking about how Ryan could have any girl he wants uh, because he's so cool. And Jim was very not keen on that idea. But after Pam sort of turned him down, he seems pretty proud that Ryan can't have any girl he wants uh, because Pam is finally his. (laughs) Yeah, I, I really felt for Pam in that moment because for a second she got really excited that someone might actually notice her talent in graphic design and get interested in, in her doing something besides being a receptionist. And uh, turns out he's actually not interested at all and was just using that as a as a tactic to ask her out. So disappointing for her, I'm sure. Uh, last Ryan moment for me. Uh... He has the final words of the episode where he talks about how he had a meteoric rise or whatever, and it's just, it's total BS. It's the same thing as at the end of the last episode where he was talking about being called a wonderkind, and I confided in you that I'd I'd bet $100 or more that he was never called a wonderkind or was maybe called a wonderkind (laughs) once, and he just latched onto that. I think that's the same thing. There's no meteoric rise. You got hired into a position, period, and that's it. Like, it's not that big a deal. You got your master's degree, and you got a job from it. Congratulations. Yeah, like, he already had an in in the company. I know he wasn't a huge, big position, but they hired from within. That makes sense. He got his MBA. That's awesome. It kind of makes sense. I mean, yeah, he was the underdog in the episode, and um, it was surprising because we didn't know he was up for the job, but it wasn't a meteoric rise. Impressive, but not unheard of. 
Yeah, it, it's just him being full of himself again. Speaking of just Jim and Pam, they have finally w- uh, disclosed to the office that they're in a relationship. And it's thanks to Toby that this gets out, unfortunately, to Toby. He witnesses Pam kissing Jim on the cheek. Then they're sort of flirting with each other in the break room. And he decides, well, I can't have that because I've had a crush on Pam for the last two seasons. And that makes me sad. And so I'm going to release a memo saying that PDA is not allowed. So I don't have to see any of that in the office. And uh, nobody knows what it's talking about. Michael at first thinks it's talking about him and Jam apparently having sex in his office, which gross. And uh, <laughs> uh, instead, Toby says, no, no, no. It, it was about Jim and Pam. They were getting some complaints. And so they finally have to say, yeah, we're together. And it totally backfires on Toby because everybody's suddenly congratulatory. Congrats. Uh, we, we're happy for you. And uh, Pam says, oh, this was just your, your funny way of complimenting us or congratulating us, wasn't it, Toby? Yeah, that, that, that's what it was. And I mean, I, I kind of feel bad for him, but it, it was also pretty petty of him in the first place to uh, release such a memo after seeing literally a peck on the cheek. Yeah, that was my feeling too. It was a little unsavory. He was very jealous and doing that as your position in HR, you're kind of taking advantage of your position there. And uh, just because you have a crush on somebody doesn't mean you get to take advantage of that. So that kind of bummed me out. Especially when he'd had his op- or opportunities in the past to sort of act and share his feelings if he wanted to pursue them and he just bombed it like there was the the crane machine back in the episode at the bar or there was uh beach games where he had the chance to talk to her and give her sunscreen and yeah he didn't get to go to the actual beach activities but he was at her desk and could have said something uh so i mean he's had his chances it's it's his own fault but yeah i don't think it's as solid a match as jim and pam anyways yeah not so much and then jim and pam come forward and say okay well now that we're out in the open we'd like to sign a relationship disclosure uh with toby because he's an hr but toby wants them to wait it out because they're only for real relationships so toby doesn't think that they need to sign one yet more of his just wishful thinking i guess that they're not a real relationship they're maybe just pretty casual but uh Good news for us as fans of Jim and Pam. Pam says, well, I, 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 don't, I can't really speak for Jim, but things are going pretty great. And I, I would definitely consider this to be a relationship rather than anything casual. And Toby says, well, let's, let's just wait and see what happens. And uh, okay, that's that. We'll, we'll wait and see what happens, I suppose. But Toby, I don't know if he's hopeful or just doesn't want to officially document that Pam is no longer available. I don't know, but it's fun how Jim and Pam are able to more openly flirt now because they are open to the rest of the office and they both disclose to each other that they knew about the Oscar, Oscar, not Oscar, Dwight and Angela (laughs) relationship. Uh, And Jim says, yeah, they've been together for like six months. And Pam says, no, it's been two years. And they're like... Wait, no way. You, why didn't you tell me? Well, you didn't tell me. And Jim says, we should have started dating like a long time ago. And I was just like, same. Yeah, you should yeah. have. <laughs> yep. 
we knew Jim. Um, while they're sitting there in the break room, I think when they're having that discussion, uh, who was it? Phyllis actually comes forward and, and says, hey, I'm, I'm really glad you two were together. I'm really happy for you. And it looks like it's going to be a pleasant moment. But she kind of used that to pretty aggressively remind Pam that she had to randomly assign new clients to salespeople and not base it off of who she's sleeping with that week. Those are Phyllis's words. Um, yeah. Which was pretty aggressive and not at all um, what I kind of pegged for, for Phyllis's character. Um, especially since Pam has dated two people in the office. It's not like she jumps around from guy to guy. So confused about that. Uh, thoughts? Well, it, and it's not even two people in the office. Roy was in the warehouse. And so this is the only thing that could even potentially serve as a threat to Phyllis or the other salespeople. And it's not really even a threat. Uh, I mean, after all, they've been dating for a few months now at this point and nothing has changed, I assume, as far as uh, Pam forwarding on clients that have called into the salespeople. But there's another moment that is similar to what Phyllis says, where Angela has a talking head saying, well, after all, Pam is the office mattress. And I, I just don't get, where does the sentiment come from? Because in the time we've known Pam, this is only the second person she has had a relationship with. And she was with Roy for the better part of a decade. So like, where right. is this idea that she's sleeping around or that she is, I don't even know. Both Angela and Phyllis are insinuating that that Pam is promiscuous in some way. And I, I guess Angela is maybe referencing Pam's clothing, although it's probably the most conservative in the office after Angela. And I, I just don't get it. It's, it's such a weird sentiment from both of those characters. I, I expected a little bit more from Angela, but Phyllis, it is just, like you said, aggressive. Yeah, that took me back a bit. And I don't think Pam would ever unfairly, you know, sort of nepotize, if you will, Jim, um, by giving him more clients or better clients. I think she would be fair and randomly assigned. So I don't know where that came from. Yeah, very strange. Uh, but it's not the only relationship that is focused on in this episode. Dwight and Angela are still dealing with the fallout of Sprinkle's death. Uh, there's a moment after Toby has sent around his memo about no PDA in the office where Angela stands up and makes an announcement to everybody and says, uh, I've never been romantically involved with anybody in this office. And Dwight just looks dejected at his seat because here she is not just uh, hiding the fact that they've been in a relationship, but completely denying that they ever had anything meaningful. So that hurts, and it apparently means that they are completely through with each other. She does try to stay with Dwight. They go to dinner the, that first night, but she just can't get past the fact that he killed her cat. And that's something we talked about in our discussion topic at the end of last episode, is that yeah, Dwight's intentions might have been nice in one respect, but he still did the wrong thing in not communicating with Angela and thus very much damaged whatever special thing they might have had between each other. And he's trying again this episode. Of course, he asks her out to dinner. He offers to cook. She says, no, I'd, I'd really rather be in public for whatever reason. Um, 
And he even tries replacing her cat, which, you know, you can't replace a living thing. Um, but he, he tries to kind of fill the hole in her heart with another cat. Um, one that he found at his barn. He named it Garbage. Um, it's a weird, <laughs> but, you know, nice enough gesture. Um, of course, when Angela rejects the garbage cat, um, <laughs> Dwight abandons the cat in the Vent Refrigeration office. So he just doesn't care a whole lot about the cat, but is trying to make amends with Angela. And in his weird way, he is trying. Worth pointing out that last episode, it was clear that Dwight saw no utility in a in an animal like Sprinkles, who was old, sick, uh, wasn't useful as a pet to keep around the house. Uh, but he points out that Sprinkle, or that, that garbage, was useful and apparently killed a family of raccoons, uh, <laughs> which I guess is useful. Uh, so he, he's trying to replace a useless animal with a useful in his eyes. But he, he, he's trying so hard to sort of win her affections back. He says, uh, then I just want to be friends, plus a little extra. Also, I love you, which she, she turns that down and just walks away. Uh, he wants to go with Michael to help him win back clients, which seems to be a metaphor for winning back Angela. I don't know if he has it set in his mind that if they get the client back, he'll get Angela back, maybe impressing her. Uh, it doesn't seem to be how she would respond, but it's maybe wishful thinking on his part. And it's during these meetings that he begins to accept that these clients, and more particularly Angela, are not coming back, and that they had their chance, and as he says, they killed it, or killed Sprinkles, I suppose. Yeah, he really does relate all of these interactions to Angela, and starts to realize that his chances are gone, and he kind of disintegrates in the middle of these meetings. Um Michael keeps wanting to try, and hey, let's win him back, and Dwight's just kicking himself. No, it's over. We killed it. So he's taking it pretty hard. That's all the character moments for me, although we did, we failed to mention that Michael drove his car, his, his rental car, mind you, that apparently did not have renter's insurance, if we can judge his face correctly at the uh, end of that incident, uh, into the lake. Yeah, how did we miss that? <laughs> um one of the funnier moments of this season probably um it's part of the whole technology taking over and you know new and improved everything michael decides to rely completely on this gps because it must know these things are amazing right uh and it says take a right turn and so michael starts to turn and dwight says no 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 it means it means veer right up ahead like on the road and Michael says, no, it said turn right. It must mean turn right. And there's this kind of, I don't know, like a boat entrance or something to this lake. And um, he just drives right in. <laughs> and uh, clearly he's going to hit water. I mean, there's no road there. And the car starts sinking. <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine. I can't fathom turning right, seeing water, and then just continuing to press the gas. I, even michael that, like, is that this is like a breakdown? new low for him i i don't know what it is uh i don't know why he was so reliant on following exactly to the word what the the technology says 
but he does. And it, it's really a highlight hearing him insisting that the technology that the GPS told him to turn here versus Dwight hysterically saying, but, but there's nothing here. It's a lake. There's water. What are you, you going to do? Like his voice gets really high pitched, more high pitched than Dwight normally gets, uh, because he's freaking out. Like, Michael, what are you doing? Uh, it, he just drives straight in and Michael almost seems to be in shock once they hit the water and they're just floating there and he has to climb out the window. Uh, yeah. And, uh, something else we failed to mention, Michael goes back to that, that final client and demands his gift basket back because there is no bounds to Michael's pettiness, apparently. Yeah. He kind of takes the stance that, you know what, if, if you, don't want us back. We take back our gift. It was sort of a sour grapes situation, and um, never mind. You can't have this gift if we can't have your your professional relationship. So he demands the gift basket back, and we get one of the funnier quotes. Um, what is it? Where are all the turtles? Where are the turtles? Where are the turtles? <laughs> uh, because there were chocolate turtles in the uh, gift basket, and they had been eaten because. They were his turtles to eat. Um, but he's sort of having a mental breakdown and just uh, demands his gifts back. Yeah. If you can't appreciate what we do as far as customer service goes, then you don't deserve it. So, oh, okay. Uh, that's not how you're going to win yeah. people back, Michael. <laughs> uh, I mean, if, if there was a chance of him coming back once you launched your new website, that's gone now because you completely severed that yeah. relationship. So, uh backfired in a way or he may not have realized that it backfired but it did that's pretty much it for character moments for me um Mm -hmm. any funny moments that we didn't mention i love how excited michael is for jim and pam being together after after they've made that announcement uh it's almost like a a victory for him because remember there was the the episode the secret after booze cruise where jim confided in michael and michael alone that he still had feelings for pam and so even though michael failed at keeping that secret uh he he was sort of he was the keeper of the secret and so them finally getting together uh almost makes it worth the fact that he let the secret go i suppose and so he says stuff like uh, let the bells of Dunder Mifflin chime out your love once the phone rings and Mike, or Pam goes to pick it up. He says, let it ring. Let it ring. And he also says, my heart soars with the eagle's nest. <laughs> He's so happy <laughs> for these two. Something we didn't actually talk about, but in that meeting where Michael has all the old, you know, photos of old people, he actually brings in someone pretty cool. He brings in Robert Dunder, who, along with Robert Mifflin, is one of the creators of, you guessed it, Dunder Mifflin. He brings him in to show the value of of the elderly people of the office, but he's so bored by by Dunder's stories that Michael just throws him out. He's, ah, never mind. He regrets the whole thing because Dunder is just, he's too old to make sense (laughs) he's just (laughs) rambling and kind of senile and um his stories don't make any sense and he's realized that by bringing him in here he's just made his point worse (laughs) and so he just throws him out on his butt and pam has to go make sure he can find his way home um so he sort of disproved his own point there yeah, because one of his points was that old people are valued for their storytelling. That's what the picture of old Rose from Titanic was there for. Uh, right, yeah. But 
yeah, it, it didn't work out the way he had hoped. Dwight, during his dinner with Angela, there, there's this one moment in their exchange that always makes me laugh, where Angela says, I heard a joke today. And Dwight says, oh, that's funny. And she says, yes, it was. <laughs> and we don't know and what the joke the was. Joke. <laughs> there's, no, there's no sharing of a punchline or anything. It's just, oh, I heard a joke. Oh, yeah, that's funny. Good. Yeah, it was. Cool. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Angela doesn't seem like the kind of person to me that enjoys jokes a whole lot. So her hearing one, if she enjoyed it, she's probably not one to share that joke again. So, um, But you know what? Dwight finds joy that she found joy. So that's nice. <laughs> When, when the party planning committee is setting up the room um, for Ryan's return, I guess, um, mm-hmm. Michael enters the room and has a whole written list of setups for that's what she said. He's going to set himself <laughs> up to make his own joke. And the one he went with was, um, can you make that straighter? Because they're hanging a banner, which bugs me because that's probably the worst one on his list. There's also that job looks hard and you should put your mouth on that, which I couldn't really be used naturally as they as they uh, point out. But can you make that straighter? It's probably the worst. That's what she said. Response. But Michael just entering the room with his own setups makes me laugh. Yeah, it's a very Michael thing to do. He, he, he can't trust anybody else to to set him up. So he's going to set himself up. Uh, Andy has a quote, a a talking head after Jim and Pam have shared their relationship with everybody. He says, Jim Halpert's off the market. Guess who just became the best looking single guy in the office. (laughs) So he's uh, aware that to him, Jim is more attractive than he is. So I just thought that was a funny thing to point out. (laughs) It sounds like something that Michael would say about Ryan, honestly. Right. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Ryan, He's so sick of Kelly. He's on the phone to someone, sounds like his superior, probably uh, David Wallace, frankly. Um, but he wants to outsource Kelly's job to India because he's just so <laughs> sick of her in the office. And whoever's on the other end of the phone is confused because Kelly is Indian. <laughs> and so Ryan's like, yeah, yeah, she's Indian. I, I see why that's confusing, but I want to outsource her job to India. He just can't relay that. <laughs> um, he wants her out of the office. As for deleted scenes, we have one, uh, the, the, the first couple that I've pointed out are more like real deleted scenes where they're not just funny things that were cut out for time, but it was like, this would have fit into the episode kind of nicely. Um, Ryan asks Michael to get him some cold water at the start of his presentation for Dunder Mifflin Infinity. And Michael looks a little taken aback at first, and Pam says, I'll go get it, Ryan. But Ryan just stares Michael dead in the eyes and insists that he's the one who gets it. So Michael sort of shrugs his shoulders or whatever and walks out to go get the water. And Jim speaks up and says, that was a little harsh, wasn't it? Ryan says, I spent three years driving around for Michael, getting yams and magic wands. He can get me a water. And it's just like, oh, oh okay, that, whatever, Ryan. I mean, that is still a little bit harsh, but I mean, I sort of get what he's doing, but he's just such a, uh, for lack of a better word, a douchebag about it. He's been harboring that one for a while. Yeah. Um, Michael, one of my favorite deleted scenes, which I think is probably a, a heavier deleted scene, like, like you're mentioning, is in his car. He's driving to work. Um, 
and he comments on how soothing the voice to his GPS is. Uh, and then Jan calls him, just absolutely losing it. She's cussing him out because she thinks that Michael ate her grape nuts cereal. She hangs up on him, and Michael turns back on the GPS's voice, or it comes back on, and he just starts breathing <laughs> to the sound of the soothing GPS lady's voice. Because clearly when he goes home, he does not hear... Um, a woman speak nicely to him, and it sounds like his GPS is the nicest lady he's ever heard. Uh, Pam was apparently the one who convinced Angela to try to go out to dinner with Dwight because Angela was aware that Pam knew of their relationship and has occasionally gone to her for advice, even though she doesn't seem to put a lot of faith in Pam's opinion. But she does sort of follow through with this one and give Dwight an extra chance to go out to dinner and g return to their relationship, but it just doesn't work out. But that was something revealed in the deleted scene I thought was interesting. Toby brings his new girlfriend to work after lunch. And as they're saying goodbye, right in front of Pam and Jim, he gives a very long and a very PDA kiss. Um, kind of, again, just throwing that back in their faces, especially in Pam's face. Um, yeah, not a fan of that attitude from Toby. Calm down. Yeah, his, his girlfriend, uh, I mean, I guess... I guess she's his girlfriend. I think that's what he calls her. But uh, I don't know if this was like a thing that happened last night and they're just capitalizing on it or if he's had her for a long time and still had feelings for Pam. I don't know. But uh, she is even trying to sort of escape the kiss because he lingers on it for so long in such a public way. Uh, so he, he's definitely trying to show off because it's not something that necessarily she wanted either. Uh, moving on to sort of funnier. Deleted scenes, Michael questions in a talking head why anyone would name a piece of technology after a fruit, like the Blackberry. He, he says, excuse me while I type on my banana, I'm going to go to the orange store and buy an apricot computer, only to pause and then realize that Apple exists. <laughs> and all those things <laughs> uh, with an iPhone or Apple replaced with those words make total sense. So, way to go. Yeah, only like... One of the two biggest, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, computer brands in the whole world. Mm -hmm. This one made me particularly laugh. Uh, Ryan is condescendingly explaining to Jim how you don't understand New York unless you live there. And Jim is like, yeah, you know, I've, I've been a few times. It's a really exciting place. It's got cool energy. And Ryan's like, no, man, you, you really don't understand. There's just this energy. And Jim's like, yeah, there's this New York energy. And they just go back and forth. And Ryan just insists that, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, you can visit and that's great, but you don't really get it unless you live there. And he's being such a hipster about it, really. He's just, it's, it's all about one-upping Jim. Yeah, he's so big-headed and has this air of superiority, and it's just driving home why Ryan bothers me. <laughs> yep. Well, if that's all we've got, uh, let's go ahead and move on to our discussion topic. Since this episode is all about younger generations or younger people um, having technology or, or ways that we don't always understand. I say we as if I'm not young. I am, but there's a younger crowd than us right now, Chad, and uh, they say and do things that I don't always understand. What are some of those things for you? I don't know. I mean, I'm a middle school teacher, and so I, I see my fair share of youngins 
<laughs> who I, I don't understand. <laughs> I I suppose a, a fad that has sort of gone around over the last year or two is the the manufacture of slime. Like there's popular uh, homemade slime ref- recipes that go around, and students will uh, make this and play with it in school. Sometimes they'll even like mass produce it in their kitchen and then sell it to other students at school. I, I don't what? understand the obsession. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a thing. I, did not I have know students about this. in my class. Yeah, uh, you can even like search on Instagram, I think, and just like hashtag slime and there will be recipes and videos and all this weird kind of stuff. And I don't get it. I don't understand the obsession. It's like liquid or Play-Doh, messier Play-Doh, and it's obnoxious, but it's some sort of weird obsession that the middle school age seems to have. I feel like that's throwing it back to our childhoods of like Nickelodeon slime. That seems so old school. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, maybe funny. I, I, those fads circle back. For me, it's more like the terminology for things. Everything is an acronym or an anagram, whichever. Now, everything stands for something. And there's one that I swear I have looked this up so many times and I can never remember what it is. Um, and I'm going to look it up now because I already forgot. The goat. It's apparently a thing like, oh, yeah, Chad, he's he's the goat. <laughs> what does that mean? Um, the it's the greatest of all time, right? The greatest of all time. Yes. And I always forget it. And I always feel so stupid. <laughs> um, I, I do think like, it's really silly. Uh, it's really for a while, dumb, I think, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, for a while, I thought it was God of all things or something like that. Greatest of all time makes a little bit more sense. But either way, it does. why would you... I always forget like, it. Why would you reduce that to uh, a quadruped that climbs mountains? Like, <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense. I can't shake that image. Like, oh yeah, Chad's a goat. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, am aging myself a little bit, but that's just so dumb to me <laughs> um yeah say like uh but I'm, lebron james is the goat of basketball and so you have a goat just yeah, in like, a basketball <laughs> jersey with a, a a ball like punctured on one of its horns it's all i can picture <laughs> um but i'm sure that you know we did things that our parents or whoever just uh did not understand either so it all comes back around yeah i suppose so uh but like i said i i see weird things all the time uh in the middle school I work at. It, I it's just, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about that, that you uh, work at a middle school and they are a special breed. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that sums it up. They're, they're special. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, that brings us, I think, to the end of our official 30th episode 30 of an American workplace. Hey. You can contact us. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us at uh, facebook.com slash workplace pod or on Twitter at workplace pod. You can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We'll see all of them now, I think. <laughs> and you mm-hmm. can email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. And there's my other podcast called Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. And also now we sometimes talk about current release films and talk about why we don't love them. Uh, We just released an episode on the 1517 to Paris, which, fun fact, has Jenna Fisher in a supporting role. But unfortunately, the movie is not very good. And you can listen to our review on that on 
the, uh, the, the podcast as well. And you can find that where podcasts can be found or at thecinescopepodcast.com. That is all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 30 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 31 for our discussion on the next episode of season four, Launch Party. Bye. Bye.